This is the word of the Lord. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and prepared and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they all called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men in as much as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came back near to the break of the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your daughters and your sons and your son and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out to, of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because of their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. And he said, up out of this place for the Lord will destroy it. But he appeared to his son-in-law, sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away with the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And he brought him out and put him outside. When they escaped, when they had, when they had brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stand anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to it and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be saved? And he said to him, behold, I grant you this request also. Now, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that town is called Zoar. 
The sun had risen over the earth when the lot when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants in the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. When he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come before you in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And in the strength and power of your spirit. Would you carry us along now as we consider the terrible judgment of your righteous hand? upon the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lord, would you instruct us as we see and consider these cities and your judgment on how we must never presume that you will overlook sin and not execute your judgment. Give us ears, hearts, and minds, Lord, to hear, believe, understand. Be with me now, Lord, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, it has been one month since we have considered the book of Genesis. And now today, we return to consider a very difficult passage, is it not? Even reading it, it almost is a passage, as we will uh, repeat later, that stuns us to silence as we read. But we come now to the book of Genesis to consider God's righteous judgment upon the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We last saw Abraham, the man of faith, Standing before the Lord, the two angels that have attended the Lord have turned their faces toward the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord has allowed Abraham to to peer into, to look into his secret will, to see what will happen, what he has determined for the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord said to Abraham in in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 21, I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. We learn that it was not as though the Lord God did not know the extent of the wickedness of these cities, but that the wickedness of these cities was so great that it could no longer be tolerated by God. God is long-suffering. 
But God will not suffer the wicked longer than he has appointed. Abraham was made aware of the judgment that was coming upon the wicked cities. And he was there standing before the Lord. And if you can get the picture. And as he is standing there with his heart and with his mind laid bare before the Lord, Abraham, the man of faith, begins to explore the will of God. Abraham begins to intercede and asking a a most uh, poignant question, which is this. Will you, God, sweep away the righteous along with the wicked? God, will you treat the wicked and the righteous exactly the same? And what a marvelous question that is. What what a biblical question that is. It is a question that simply understands the perfection of God. Abraham says in verse 25 of chapter 18, Far be it from you, God, to do such a thing. This is not of your perfections, is what he is saying. It is not of your perfection to slay the righteous along with the wicked, to judge the righteous in the same manner as you judge the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, he is saying. He is saying this is not the perfection of God. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly, he says. And brothers and sisters, That is a question uh, that is posed as a statement. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? It is a true statement. It is one that you can rest your heads on your pillows at night peacefully at. That the judge of all the earth will always deal justly. And what was it that Abraham knew about God? It was this. Abraham knew that God is perfectly righteous. That all that God does is just and good. Abraham knows this. Abraham understands this. Because the Lord is perfectly just. Therefore, the righteous and the wicked will not suffer the same punishment. Praise be to God. The the righteous will not be treated like the wicked because God is just. Because the judge of all the earth will deal justly with his people. Therefore, we can rest assured that righteous and wicked are not treated equally. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Punishment. Judgment. God's wrath is reserved for the wicked. Not for the righteous. Because the judge of the earth shall do right, shall deal justly. The answer to the question is yes, the judge of the earth shall deal justly. All that the Lord does is good, and we've learned a long time ago. The Lord does not look at a right action. Listen close to this. He does not look at a right action and then choose that right action. Right actions follow God. Meaning that everything that He does is good. Not because He sees a good thing and then does it, Anything he does is good. Goodness follows God. God does not follow goodness. Therefore, as Abraham begins to make his plea for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, this statement about the perfection of God, listen, it informs 
the Lord's response to Abraham. Does that make sense? It's the, the canopy over all of Abraham's request. Whether they be accepted or whether they be denied. Here's the canopy. The judge of all the earth will deal justly. The judge of all the earth will do what is good because he is good. Whether it is accepted or whether it is denied, Abraham is about to plead to God. He is about to, to, to stand before God as it were and make his plea. Whether or not his plea is accepted or whether or not his plea is denied will not change the fact that God deals justly. That whatever God determines to do is good. Do you hear that this morning? What are you asking God for? And what has been his response thus far? Whatever it is, it's good. Whatever it has been, it is good. And whatever it will be, it will be good. Abraham says, suppose there are 50 righteous. Will you still sweep away the city? And what does God say? Because he is right. Because he is just. For 50, I will spare the entire city. And you, and you can almost get the picture that as Abraham is, is standing before the Lord, he goes to see if the angels are still marching toward Sodom to destroy it. And they are marching. So he comes back. Suppose there are 45, I will spare it for 45. But the angels are still marching towards Sodom. Suppose there are, are 40, uh, what about 35, what about 30? All the way down to 10. And my dear brothers and sisters, can you imagine the horror on the face of Abraham standing before God when he comes to realize that as he is interceding for these wicked cities that that there is not so much as ten righteous people in the entire city. For the angels are still going. The angels are still marching toward destruction. And he is asking, are there any righteous in the city? If you can imagine a city, an entire city, two of them, Sodom and Gomorrah. Within the entire city, there is not so much as ten righteous people. Imagine living in Bakersfield. We are close to 450,000 people in this city. Imagine not even 10 righteous in the entire city. We don't know the number of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But we must take this into account when we're reading the judgment that came upon the cities. It was not an unjust judgment. There are times when we come to certain passages in the scriptures that almost make us want to turn away. I've had to read Genesis 19 now for the past month. And it sickens me more and more every time I read it. This morning, 
I would like to consider with you the righteous judgment of God upon the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we will do so with three points. Number one, the law of God applied to Sodom and Gomorrah. The law of God applied to Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord has sent his angelic servants to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And upon their visitation, they discover that indeed, these cities are profoundly as perverted as the cry that has come to heaven. They are profoundly as perverted. We find Lot sitting at the the gate of Sodom. And many have concluded that because he is sitting at the gate of Sodom, he has uh, gained some kind of position or some kind of place of prominence in which he is a judge of the city. I, along with John Gill and others, believe that scripture gives us evidence to the contrary. That's, that Lot was not sitting at the gate because he was a judge. The reason why Lot was sitting at the gate, we don't know, but it was ordained by God. The men of the city will later argue that Lot is a sojourner. He's a Hebrew. He's a traveler. And yet he all of a sudden thinks that he has gained some kind of position to to judge the men of the city and their actions. Who do you think that you are? The men will say to Lot, you are not our judge. As the men come into the city in the evening, the two angels we learn that Lot has learned something of true hospitality from his uncle Abraham, has he not? For as soon as the men enter the city, Lot rises to meet the men and he bows with his face low to the ground as a sign of great respect. Just like Abraham, Lot did not know who these men were, but by their appearance, they seem to have give, given the appearance that they were men of prominence, uh, men of renown. Therefore, Lot has come and paid homage to them. Lot began to urge the men, come, spend the night at my house. Come quickly and stay with me. And Lot seems to be uh, encouraging them also, come quickly, get up early and get out. Why so hasty, Lot? Why are you in such a, a rush to get these men in and to get these men out? It is almost as if Lot wanted the men to get in and out as quickly as possible, for he knew what awaited the men if they lingered in the city. The angelic visitors, uh, angelic visitors, they say, "Oh no, thank you, Lot. We have chosen to stay in the town square. If you know anything about town squares, they are in the very center of the city." And Lot is, is horrified. As, as you read the text, Lot is, is horrified at their suggestion. Lot is horrified at what, what they are planning to do. It is almost as if he literally grabs, the Bible says that he, that he urges them strongly. Almost as if he grabs them by the hand and says, you don't know what awaits you there. You shall stay with me. You, you don't want to find out what takes place at the ta- town square. You stay at my place. You'll be safe there tonight. So the men, they concede. They come to Lot's house and Lot has prepared a meal for them. Nothing as elaborate as Abraham's meal. But they have been fed by their gracious host. 
And just before they are about to lay down their heads, there develops a commotion outside of Lot's house. Every man, think about this. Every man. The Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest. From all over the city, not from one part, not from the east side. The Bible says, from every quarter of the city. Young and old. We need to slow down when we're reading our text, don't we? To feel the weight of of every man. Imagine being in your home. And every man in the city of Bakersfield, young and old, surround your house. And they are calling for the angelic visitors to come out. So that they, every man, young and old, might sexually violate these men. What a wicked city. In horror, Lot comes out of the house, shutting the door behind him. If you can imagine that they are closing in around his house. He comes out, closes the door behind him and says, my brothers. Not that they were fellow believers. But they are kin. They are relatives of Lot's. How so? Remember the three sons of Noah? Ham, Shem, and Japhet. They are distant, distant relatives of Ham. And Lot is a distant, distant relative of Shem. My brothers, don't do this wicked thing. Do not do this wicked thing. They have come into my home. They have come under my safety. Don't do this. You please, brothers, Take my wife. I'm going to take my daughters. As if that was a, 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 a wiser suggestion. Take my daughters. They've never been with any man. Take my daughters. But these men would not be reasoned with. They, they even rebuked Lot for, for his judgment of their actions. And they begin to press in on him. They begin to press in on him to where he is almost pressed up against his own house. To where the angels reach out their hands. Almost cartoonish if you can imagine. They reach out their hands and yank him back in and shut the door behind them. And immediately they strike every man there with blindness. Then Lot is warned. Get your family out of here. Leave quickly, quickly. Judgment is coming. Lot, in haste, runs to his uh, sons-in-law-to-be. Get out of here. God is going to destroy this place. But here's the thing. They thought he was joking. They did not take him seriously. Morning comes and the angels urge Lot, you must go. Or you will be swept away along with this city. And Lot lingers. Meaning, Lot hesitates. Men, do you know the feeling when you need to leave? Or women, do you know the feeling when you need to leave? And one spouse or the other 
is lingering, we need to go. Now, that's for an appointment. This is for the judgment of God. And Lot is lingering. Finally, they said enough. They grab Lot and his family by their hands and they drag them out of the cities and they give, to, they give him one command. Don't look back. Go here and don't look back. Lot did not want to go far away from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he, he pleads, please may, may I stay in the city that is nearby. They allow him. And the Lord rains down brimstone and fire upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And while judgment is coming, Lot's wife, who was behind him, looks back. And she is instantly turned into a pillar of salt. And if you can imagine the scene, Abraham rises in the morning. And he goes to the place where he stood before the Lord. And at that place, he could see what used to be the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now nothing but dust and ash. And from their place, smoke arises. Like smoke from a furnace. Brothers and sisters. Upon reading the account of the judgment of God. I'd like to ask you a very simple question. Why? Why did the Lord God rain down brimstone and fire upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why? I wonder how you might answer that question if you were asked by an unbeliever. Or maybe a believer who says, can you explain this to me? Why were these cities destroyed? The Lord God has said in the previous chapter that there has been an, a great outcry against the, the sinful wickedness of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So much so that their, their, their sin has reached the very throne of God. Brothers and sisters, what was that sin? That it could reach the very throne of God. What was that sin that caused the outcry to be so great? That God executed judgment in such a dramatic fashion. Well, some may automatically say, well, think of the, the, the sinfully horrific attempt by the men of Sodom, both young and old, to violate these two Angelic visitors, that is why they were destroyed. Others may say, well, it must have been the, the sin of homosexuality. And these would definitely be reasons why the Lord God had rained down brimstone and fire upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And let me say to you, just so that we can be abundantly clear, I say to you upon the authority of God's holy inspired word. His word that is ever true. That is, is relevant for every age. That homosexuality. Is a sin against God. That homosexuality is against the creative order of God. This is why 
in the eyes of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. This act, this sin of homosexuality is such an apex of human depravity and rebellion against God. And it is profoundly self-destructive. A society and a culture that fully embraces this particular sin. A society and culture who, who rejects the creator, creative order of God. They reveal their own moral degeneration, disintegration. They, 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 re, they reveal their own uh, breakdown of morality. They reveal their own collective depths of depravity. When we or any other culture fully embraces the sin of homosexuality. This was true. This was true of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They fully, as a city, imagine there were not ten righteous and all of the men have gathered around the house to violate these men. They have collectively, as a city, embraced this sin. But the sin of homosexuality and the sinful attempt by the mob of the men to violate these angelic beings were not the sole reasons why God smote those wicked cities. We shall discuss more reasons why they were judged in our next point. But the overarching answer to the question is this, uh, to the question of, of why did God judge these cities? The answer is very simple. Here it is. The people of God or the people of Sodom and Gomorrah violated the law of God. How simple that is. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah collectively rebelled against and disobeyed the law of God. Now, that may seem like a strange answer. The Lord God held the people of Sodom and Gomorrah accountable to his law, his righteous law. He judged them according to his law. Did the people of Sodom and Gomorrah sin? Did they? Yeah? Okay. According to what? According to what? According to God's law. Now that should cause us to pause. God judged the people for violating God's law. What law? What law? The law was not codified or written until the time of Moses, and that would be 600 years later. So then what law? What law are they violating? The law of God that has been instinctively written on our hearts. The law of God that they have been created with an understanding and a knowing of. That they have purposely and willingly violated. The Apostle Paul sheds light on this point in the book of Romans chapter 2. Turn there please. We're going to be looking at a few of those things. Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> We are asking and, and seeking to answer the question, what law? Romans 2 and verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish with the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. 
Now listen to what he says. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law who are just, who will be justified. Paul, the apostle, makes the point abundantly clear. We are all living under a law. We, we may be living under a law that has been written, that we hear codified in scripture, or we, and that we must obey, or we may be living under the law that we have not heard, but yet has been written on our hearts. Either way, we are living by the law. How is that possible? How is it possible that the law has uh, been written for us in the scriptures and is also a law that we live by even if we don't have the scriptures? The apostle continues, verse 14. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, see that? Do instinctively, obey instinctively the things of the law. These not having the law. You seeing that? Look at your Bible. Don't look at me. Look at your Bible. See what that says? Not having the law are a law to themselves. Gentiles are those who did not have the scriptures available to them like the Jews. And yet Paul is saying they are instinctively doing what the law requires. Why? How? Paul says in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their consciences being bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Those who do not have the law available to them have the law, the moral law of God written on their hearts. I got it, honey. It's fine. Have the law written on their hearts. Thank you, brother. Because God has so imprinted his moral law on the hearts of all who are created in his image. And that is every single person born on this earth. Every single person. We have been created with a moral compass. We've been created with an understanding of what is morally right and what is morally wrong. We have been created with an understanding of what is a violation of God's law. And what is an upholding of a moral standard of God's law? We all know these things. We all know what is right and what is wrong because God has created us with such a knowledge. Therefore, man is without excuse when he is judged by God for violating the law of God. Does that make sense? Man is without excuse. Man has been created whether he says, well, I've never read it. It doesn't matter. You know it. I didn't go to church. Doesn't matter. You still know it. How? God has created you with an understanding in your heart, in your conscience of what is right and what is wrong. Well, what's the problem then? Romans 1.18 is the problem. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? Who do what? Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The problem with the person who has been created with a moral compass, with an understanding of right and wrong, is that he is suppressing that truth. He is suppressing what he knows is right and wrong. Because that which has been known about God is evident with him. For God has made it evident. God has made it evident. It is absolutely clear. It is a man who commits adultery knows that is wrong. 
He doesn't need to be in church to know, I, I probably shouldn't be doing this. He knows it's wrong. He knows it's wrong. A man who is lying, woman is lying. They know it's wrong. God has created them with such an understanding. A man or woman who cheats uh, their taxes, who cheats their alimony, who cheats uh, their child support, they know it's wrong. God has created us with a moral compass of understanding. This is right. This is wrong. When God's law is applied to those who sin against his rights requirement, man has no excuse for disobeying God's righteous law. No excuse. We may observe the judgment of God and conclude, man, that seems harsh. Everyone, everyone was destroyed. God destroyed, rained down fire and brimstone upon an entire city. Listen, men, women, boys, girls, little babies. And they were all destroyed alike. It is almost as if the passage, which is horrific, which almost makes us want to turn our faces away, is God bringing our face back and saying, no, don't look away. For this is the judgment reserved for those who are wicked and who rebel against my law. Let us not turn away. And let us also not point our fingers at God and accuse God of being unjust. There is no injustice with God. The ninth question of the Heidelberg Catechism asks, doesn't God do us an injustice by requiring in his law what we are unable to do? And here's the answer. Ready for it? No. There is no injustice with God. There is no unrighteousness with God. God did not. Why? Why? Why is that not the case? Because God did not initially create man with the inability to obey his law. God has created man with the ability to obey his law. But we have, Heidelberg Catechism goes on to say, we have willfully disobeyed God both in Adam and personally. Man's pollution comes from man's rebellion. Man's inability comes from man's rebellion, not from God. We were created upright. We were created holy, righteous, able to obey God. We chose to rebel against him. So when his judgment comes, it is a right and good judgment, not an unjust judgment. It is right. And for us to point the finger at God. For the Arminian to say, well, I was not saved because he did not make me saved. It's his fault. No, we rebelled against God. It's almost as if the bank robber robs the maker and then blames the judge for sending him to jail. In our accusation against God, we reveal just how twistedly polluted our minds have become. <sighs> When God comes to apply his law and make a right judgment, man is without excuse. The Bible says in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood and, and being understood through which he has made, so that we are without excuse. Those in Sodom and Gomorrah could not claim, this law does not apply to me. I don't believe in the God that Lot believes in. 
I live how I want to live. I set my own standards and they are in accordance with what makes me happy. That's my law. No. When the men of the city gathered around Lot's house to violate the heavenly visitors, Lot comes out and pleads with them saying this, please, brothers, don't do this wicked thing. We'll talk more about Lot next week. But he appeals to their moral sensibilities. You know this is wicked. Don't do this wicked thing. I'm appealing to your moral compass. Oh, it's been seared. You are suppressing truth. Don't do this wicked thing. And and what is the response of the men? Notice how relevant their response is. These men have constructed their own personal standards of wickedness. And for them, it was wicked for Lot to stand in the way of their sinful desires. You see how they turned the tables on him? Out of our way. We're going to do worse to you. Who do you think you are, they say to him. that You just got here. And now you're our judge. When the righteous stand in the way of the wicked, the wicked call the righteous wicked. For standing in the way of their sinful desires. What do I mean? Who are you to tell me who I can love. Who are you to tell me what love is? Who are you to tell me what I am? If I want to be called this, I will be called this. If I want to be called that, I will be called that. I can be whatever I want to be. And if you call me something other than what I want to be, I will call the highest courts to judge you for your unwillingness to accept my own standards. And they will throw you in jail or they will silence you. My brother who often sends me many different things, he didn't send it to me, he showed it to me. Of a man, clearly a man, a, a Tony sized man, which is as manly as you can get, was inside of a GameStop video store. And the poor video game worker who's just trying to do his job said, I'm sorry, sir. But this sir didn't want to be a sir, he wanted to be a her. How dare you call me, sir? And this man was livid. And he was as violent as a man can be. Demanding that the store worker call him her. Ma'am. The one who is doing what is right is being accused of doing wickedness by the one who is acting wickedly. Stand your ground. Don't be swayed. If they put you in jail, they put you in jail for unjust reasons and you will go to jail unjustly, but you will stand before God justified. Put me in jail for doing what's right. Don't be moved. 
Don't give in to the culture. My dear friend, God will not judge us based upon our own standards. Because our standards are polluted. Man is not his own creator and therefore man has no right to construct his own personal standards. And he will not be judged upon those standards. God is our creator. God has created us in his image and he, we will all be held accountable to his righteous law. Man can also say, I'm a, but I'm not a Christian. <laughs> therefore, this judgment also does not apply to me. No, my dear friend. This judgment is not reserved only for those who uphold God's word as the only source of infallible truth. This judgment is for all peoples, whether they confess Christ or deny Christ. God's law has been written on our hearts. And we either bow our knee in obedience or we are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. But we shall be judged by God's law. Man cannot claim ignorance. Man cannot claim that they did not know what God's law required. God created you to worship him. And the way that you worship him is by obeying his law. One theologian has said, behind every I cannot obey his law is a I will not obey his law. And dear ones, this also applies to you who call upon the name of the Lord. You will not be excused for your willful disobedience to the word of God that is brought to bear upon your ears, your hearts, and your minds. Lord's Day Sabbath after Lord's Day Sabbath. You cannot say, I didn't know. You know now. Each time you hear God's word, you are held. I am held accountable. And even more so me who preach it. This has been a long point. The angels have come to Sodom. And before they walk further, and before we walk any further into into this text and the details, let us walk with this overarching truth. God is just. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. And when he does so, he will do so by applying his law as the standard by which he will judge all men. And that judgment will be right. Number two. These points will go quicker. God will certainly judge sin. Brothers and sisters, God must certainly judge, punish sin. He must certainly punish the wicked. If God does not punish the wicked, if God does not punish sin, he will cease to be God. If God swept man's sin and man's rebellion under the carpet, if God winked his eye at man's sin and let it slide, God would cease to be God. We may ask, but isn't God gracious? What of the mercy of God? What of the grace of God? And the answer is yes. To God be the glory that he is gracious. To God be the glory that he is merciful. But we must not reason that because God is gracious and because God is merciful, that he will therefore not punish sin. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. Keep that thought in your mind as we progress to the sermon. As we've mentioned, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah has reached the very throne of God. In haste, the angels strike the men of of Sodom with, with blindness and urge all of his family to get out, for they are about to destroy this place. The cities and their sin have become so offensive to God that God has determined to utterly destroy them. For their sin was an attempt to spit in the direction of God. 
Their sin was an attempt to spit at the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, and that's a fitting statement. God's patience has run out. Why? Why has it run out? Let me say to you that their sin did not happen overnight. It is not as though these cities all of a sudden became sinfully vile. Their sin has increased year after year. Listen to this. You may remember 20 years earlier. Remember when we preached that Abraham and Lot were going to have a a separation. And what does Abraham say? Choose the land you want to go to, right? And Lot chooses the well-watered land. The land near Sodom and Gomorrah. This is 20 years earlier from chapter 19 where we are right now. And what does the Bible say about the cities at that particular time? Chapter 13, verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier. And Lot is going to live in that vicinity. The sin of Sodom did not arise overnight. And it's quite possible that their sin began long before. This is not something that God says, you've sinned, you're done. The Lord was patient. Darkness was increasingly covering that land. Sinful pursuits were filling the minds of the inhabitants of that land. And God was being patient, patient with them every year, year after year that they are sinning. And listen to this. They may even have begun to reason in their polluted minds. As they are sinning against God, as they are eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and and committing sodomy. They may have said. God will do nothing. There will be no consequences. For the things that we do. And, you know, when there are no consequences to our sins. Our sins increase. When there are no consequences, when it seems like no one's getting hurt, we keep going until someone gets hurt. Don't we? They were pursuing every sinful passion, seemingly without any consequence in sight. God will not strive, suffer the wicked very long. God will not suffer the wicked things of men and be long-suffering toward them very long. We must not interpret God's delay of judgment as God's excusing judgment, overlooking judgment. Or even worse, that God is approving our sin. It is a sinful, foolish thing to think that because nothing serious has happened so far... God must excuse it, dismiss it, or even approve of it. And I'll just keep on going till something happens. <laughs> oh, God. Woe to you who reason that way. When will man finally realize that his seeking out sinful devices will not be tolerated by God? What consequence must we experience in order for us to finally be confronted with our own sin and our own rebellion and that God will not tolerate this? The people of Sodom and Gomorrah did not fear God's judgment. 
Listen, and this is only a few generations removed from the, 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 the rebellion at Babel. This was only a few generations ago. This was only a few generations removed from God bringing watery judgment upon the earth. And what does all of this say? What does all of this point to? It is pointing to the height from which man has fallen. It, it is, if you will, the, if you will, the tracks of blood that have led away from the scene of the crime that has taken place in the garden. And from there, we see the traces of blood all the way to this chapter 19. Where God says enough. Man has drifted from the original state of perfection he was made in. And brothers and sisters, how quickly our fear of God and the certainty of his judgment escapes our memories. For those of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was just a few generations that Babel happened. It was just a few generations ago that God judged the world in water. And us, we attend the sick in hospitals. We see them in their beds. We weep and mourn at funerals. We hear of cataclysmic events around the world. But our memories are short. We think, certainly, that judgment will not come my way. My dear friend, God will most certainly judge the wicked. You could be assured of that. There will come a day when his patience has run its course. You can be sure of that. There will come a day when God has determined to judge the wicked for their rebellion and sin. You can be sure of that. There will come a point when intercession of Abraham, standing and pleading for the city, will no longer avail. There will come a point when even righteous Lot, one who has been loved with an everlasting love, when his presence in the city will not even be able to spare the city of judgment. There will come a place, even when people are saying peace and safety, when they are eating and drinking and giving in marriage, that Jesus said all of a sudden, sudden destruction will come. And it will come like a thief in the night. Judgment will come unexpectedly. The peoples of the cities were carrying on in their passions until one day, unexpectedly, two visitors showed up. And they were there to destroy everyone. (laughs) Judgment may be delayed for a time, but it is certain. What was the cause of their judgment? Yes, it was their sinful lust. Yes, it was homosexuality. But Ezekiel 16.49 gives us more insight. This guilt of your sisters, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. Not going to touch me. Abundant food. They were gluttonous. They were... Enjoying all things for themselves, taking pleasure in all things. And scripture goes on to say, and they lived with careless ease. 
not concerned about a thing. And also, she did not help the poor and the needy. They cared not for their fellow man. Thus, they were haughty and committed abominations before me. They were prideful, well-fed, not caring for the poor. These were also the reasons why they were destroyed. The Bible says in Rome in Genesis 19:4, the men of the city, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people of every quarter. And they called out to him, Lot, where are the men who came tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Not one part, all parts of the city, young and old, the absolute darkness of these men that they would gather to violate these visitors. And there was no voice of reason among them. Among them, there was no wise counsel. Lot may have said, please, brothers, don't violate these two men. Here, take my daughters instead. They've never been with a man. As if that was a better option, Lot. Lot, where is your mind? Where is your thinking? This is hell. This is hell. This is a description of what hell is like. Not that they're enjoying it. Hell, please. They are not enjoying themselves in hell. They are not rejoicing in hell. They they are not uh, uh, living it up in hell. They are in absolute suffering and torment. But this is... This is the moral compass of those in hell. There is none. It is completely suppressed. It is completely pushed down. And it is almost as though the Lord has has given us a passage in, in Genesis 19 where he opens the furnace door of hell and says, take a look. This is the wicked. This is the wicked. And this is whom judgment is reserved for. Don't turn away. Look. You don't want this. Flee from Sodom. Run from Sodom. They are struck with blindness. You know what the scriptures say? And they're still trying to find the door to get in. After being struck with blindness, they're still groping for the door to get in. They are slaves to sin. They are of their father, the devil. And what is their consequence? The Lord rained down brimstone and fire. You know what brimstone is? I had to look it up. It's a crystalline solid that burns with a blue flame that has a suffocating odor. It will Cause you to clutch your throat the stench of sulfur, of brimstone. Sparked by fire, the city went up in a blue blaze. Jews, Jude tells us in Jude 7, this was set forth, set forth for us as an example. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't be. Like the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. What's the point? The Lord will judge the wicked. Of this we can be certain. Number three and finally. Mercy in the midst of judgment. 
I love a quote that Pastor Zay quoted of Spurgeon recently, where in every sermon, we are making a path to the cross. Mercy. How could there be any mercy here? It's all over the place. We find mercy in the fact that God first came to Abraham, warned him of the impending judgment. Why did the Lord invite Abraham into his counsel? So that Abraham might stand and intercede on behalf of the righteous. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham. At the end of it all, God remembered Abraham. God remembered his promise to Abraham. God remembered his interaction, his interce- Abraham's interceding. And what does God do because of Abraham's intercession? He sends out Lot. In the midst of the overthrow, when God overthrew the cities in which Lot lived, God Because of Abraham's sake, rescues Lot. It seems as though Abraham, when Abraham prayed, will you slay the righteous along with the wicked? That God said, no. I will rescue Lot. And as hard as it is to believe, 2 Peter says that Lot was a righteous man. Lot was one who fled to Christ. Lot was, as hard as it is is to believe, Lot was one who fled to Christ alone. The Bible says that his, his righteous soul was tormented every day that he lived in Sodom. And yet, he remained in Sodom, a righteous man living among the unrighteous. Hard to believe. Especially when we continue next week with Lot. But it's what the Bible proclaims. And the prayer of Abraham was simply this. Will you slay... The one who has fled to Christ alone. One who has found refuge in Christ alone. In the same way that you will slay those who have rejected your Christ. Oh Lord, will you slay one who has received the righteousness of Christ by faith. Along with those who have rejected Christ. And the answer from heaven is no. Not in the least. Those who have fled to Christ, though they be like Lot, narrowly saved. Meaning this, barely saved. Though they be barely saved. You know some barely saved people? I do. They shall be sheltered from the wrath of God that will fall upon the wicked. We have Abraham who is surely saved. And we have Lot who is narrowly saved. But saved nonetheless. And this is displayed again and again in chapter 19. Lot, this city will be destroyed. Run, Lot lingers. Lot, I can't do nothing until you get out. Because God has shown compassion to you. That is the only reason why. You might have seen that. It's also translated because God has shown mercy to you. I cannot do anything, Lot, until you get out because of the mercy of God. That's the only reason why you're not dead yet. And the grace of God is so secure that it will drag you by the hand if need be. When we linger, when we backslide, when we return to our filth and our sin, the grace of God will grab you by the hand if need be to say, you are mine. Come along. Because you will not be destroyed along with the wicked, but get up. 
run to this city. And what does Lot say? They say, Lot, go here. Go to the mountains. Lot goes, no, not there. Come, let me go over here. You know, they just, you, what, what does uh, Denzel say? That you're cooking my grits. You're pushing it. You're pushing it, but go. And hurry up. Because this is all about to be done. And finally, when he is out, brimstone and fire rain down, and he is narrowly saved and removed from harm's way. Can you imagine the reaction from Lot when he realizes his wife is no longer with him? That she has turned back. When it is all said and done, and he, like Abraham, and also unaware, Lot does not know that Abraham was praying for him. Lot has no idea there has been one interceding for him. Can you imagine? I've been saved. How was I saved? There was one interceding for me. And as he looks at the same heap of dust and ash, rising smoke that Abraham is looking at from a, dis- from a different location, they are both looking at that heap of ash, that burning furnace of smoke. And Abraham is believing Lot is rescued and Lot is standing there rescued, not knowing how. And as he looks at that heap of dust and ash, there is at least one thing he should have been thinking. That's where I deserve to be. I should have been there. Oh, but for the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, we can look at Calvary's hill and the cross of Christ and say, I should have been there. That is what I deserve. The unfiltered wrath of God poured out upon our mediator. And we had no idea. And yet he stood in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous. The fire that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah would have fell on Lot. It would have fell on you and me. Were it not for the fact that a mediator stood in our place and took the punishment that you and I deserved. Earlier we proclaimed God did not uh, must punish sin. God must uh, must punish our violation of his righteous law. But the question is this. Who will he punish? Will you, like Sodom and Gomorrah, act in pride and arrogance, believing that your standing before him with your own merit will be enough to justify you before God? Or will you flee from Sodom and Gomorrah and run to Christ and say there is but only one refuge and that is in Christ and in Christ alone? The call of the gospel is this. Hurry, get out of Sodom, run to Christ. There are consequences of sin. Run out of Christ and run. Run out of Sodom and run to Christ. The call of the gospel. Flee from the wrath of God. Flee to Christ. That is the only way you will find salvation. And let us not in closing think this. Thank God I did not live in those wicked cities. Why? Listen. Because there is a greater sin than the one that was committed in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus said in Matthew 11, it will be more bearable 
for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Speaking to those who had heard his gospel, who had seen the Christ, he said it will be more bearable for them whom God rained down brimstone and fire. It will be more bearable for them than it will be for you on the day of judgment. We gaze at Sodom and Gomorrah in horror, in, in, in absolute shock at their sin of homosexuality, at their sin of sodomy, at their sin of arrogance, at their sin, at their sin, at their sin, and don't realize that there is a greater sin, that the greater sin is rejecting Christ. That is the greater sin. And those who reject Christ will experience a greater judgment than even Sodom and Gomorrah. This is from the lips of Christ Jesus himself. There is a far more serious sin than the sin of homosexuality. The sin of homosexuality can be forgiven. But the ongoing rejection of Jesus Christ and the ongoing refusal of the forgiveness of all sins in Christ will not be forgiven on the final day. God will apply his law and when he does, How will you fare on that day? Will you be judged based upon your own failure to obey his law? Or will you flee to the one who has fulfilled the law in your stead? The Lord Jesus Christ. Law will be applied to you. And for those who have run to Christ You can turn to your advocate and say, he has fulfilled it on my place, in my spot, and you will be saved. I urge you, young and old, get out of Sodom, get out of Gomorrah, flee to Christ. He is your only place of refuge from judgment that will surely come. Flee to Christ alone. Let us pray.